Everyone up, everyone in. Time for the fun to begin. Come along with me, Lookout Bear, on a brand new adventure. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Michael B. Moynihan here, Zubilee Zoo's resident adventurer, Lookout Bear. I, along with my friends Paul. Hello, Zubaroos. And Billy. Welcome to the show. Have teamed up to bring you an informative and entertaining deep dive into the loving world of Zubilee Zoo, one episode at a time. So please, Buckle up and join us for When You're in Zubilee 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 Magic and wonder are waiting for you So come on with us now And discover the wonder of you Welcome to Zubilee Zoo That's right, you can listen to the brand new Zoobly Zoo podcast, dropping the 1st and the 15th of every month, wherever you get your podcasts, or at electronicmediacollective.com slash pod. Hi there, this is Adrian Paul. You're listening to Bullspit with Moose. Hey, Paul, look over there at the size of that moose. Son, that's no moose. That there is a pile of bullspit. Another all-new episode of Bullspit with Moose. I'm your host, Moose. Joining me today is, well, I guess that I've really been looking forward to taking the taking a crack at. Uh, she's been on the pageant circuit. She's an actress, a filmmaker, a mom, and she looks like she could be immortal. Um, so without further ado from Highlander and Highlander the Raven, please welcome the lovely Miss Elizabeth Grayson. Hello. Good to be here. It's nice. There's no visual. So they just have to take your word on the immortal stuff. I'll go with it. (laughs) Well, like I said in the pre-interview, I mean, you, you look like you haven't aged since the series ended and that was God. In the nineties, hundred years ago, right? You know, so I mean. <laughs> oh well, thanks. Um, yeah, I definitely have. Try to take my word for that for sure. But uh, I appreciate that. That's nice. Thank you. In regards to Highlander, you got the call while you were filming. Well, while you were on, I believe it was. Was it the trial or the death of the Incredible Hulk? Uh, it was. I think it was a couple of years after the death of the Hulk that I got the call sort of out of the blue. Yeah. A good call. That was a good call <laughs> for sure. Um, what was working on Hulk like? I mean, because you, you've done a couple comic book properties now at this point. I mean, there was Hulk and I think you were on an episode of flash. Yeah. Um, the Hulk was great because it was, uh, my first big role. I'd say I'd done a couple of guest spots on, episodic work but um that was a big deal to me uh i just did a an interview for ign it was all about the hulk and about marvel and the the early days of marvel on tv for me it was such an experience uh to work with bill bigsby of course because i i knew him from 
growing up and seeing all of his work and um it was a big deal i mean it, because that character of yasmine on the hulk was sort of a template for a lot of the characters i played who's sort of you know the master of disguise and um very wily uh sort of black widow type character and amanda on highlander similar to that as well so it was a great experience for me to work with such a wonderful producer director actor in bill bigsby and to just get to try on all these characters it was it was a big deal and i was so i'm still so appreciative to bill for being just a great um supporter and uh, he was so encouraging to me at the time it was it was it was very important to me well and you mentioned that yasmin was you know kind of a template for the characters that you get to play later on and i'm kind of glad you brought that up because yeah a lot of your characters all have like you said that very same uh dynamic of they're this like out of the box kind of character of you know they all kind of fit in that same mold of like amanda and yasmin and to where they're, they're that free spirit uh character how much of that is the character how much of that is you <laughs> oh wow uh, as time has gone on and I don't do that much acting anymore and I look back at a career and I look back at these characters and especially Amanda because I played her for so long I, th I think it's just a nice mixture <laughs> of character and me getting it uh, being a survivor myself of a lot of drama as a child and and learning to manipulate and <laughs> get through life uh and taking some chances. And I mean, I think it's just a mix. I wouldn't say that I am Amanda, but my grandmother was quite a wily character. And I like to say that I, I based Amanda a little bit on my grandma, grandma Grace and on uh, a friend of mine. Well, she used to be a friend of mine, but um, she played lady Sylvia in Lair of the white worm, but um, Amanda Donahoe in that film, sort of the same. I knew her personally and I, I kind of based it on her approach to playing that type of character as well um i don't know i just got it and i was lucky with the highlander especially since i worked on it for so long that um it was just a perfect mix of them getting me and me getting them and it fitting the character so i was never disappointed in any of the scripts that came my way or how she was developing maybe the finale of the series i didn't quite like how they envisioned her as being this sort of this black widow who kills her husband type of character i thought it was a little I wanted her to be in charge of, you know, some major corporation. And, <laughs> you know, I thought she had a bit more uh, higher aspirations than leaning on a man. But uh, other than that, I thought they they did that character great service. Oh, yeah. Even on Highlander the Raven. Yeah. Highlander the Raven was very different in that they, they tried to make Amanda into this hero character. And I think it worked, especially when we moved more into the Highlander myth, when we moved to Paris. But... Um, it, it was it was harder to maneuver her in that direction to where she could take ahead every episode. But um, I think they did a pretty good job. Well, see, I think the issue with the Raven was they tried to move her too far into into filling Duncan's shoes, and yeah. that does, doesn't really fit with her personality. 
So, it, I mean, you could see the con, you know, it, it, you could see the conflict on screen with, you know, her coming to grips with, you know, that, that moral dilemma, you know, of, you know, right and wrong, which I thought was great. But, you know, you, you kind of lost a lot of that free will, happy-go-lucky, just not a care in the world that you kind of got used to in mm-hmm. everything in Highlander the series. Yeah, well, you just got to the fun away from her a little bit because she had to be stand up at a certain point. And there were a lot of the way the series started <clears throat> sort of as a buddy show, as a cop show, it was very different than what it ended up as by the end of the season, which was much more Highlander. So it was, I think a rough start. I, I wish it could have gone on another season just to see what we could have developed because I think it was moving into the, classic um highlander realm and i i I would have enjoyed that so much more and i fought for that but you know you never know what what's going to work or not and um yeah i mean she she didn't i guess the paul johansson character the wolf character was supposed to be the stand-in for a duncan character and they're very different personalities on screen and just different characters in general um so to have Amanda step in as the good guy and try to show her as the bad guy in flashbacks or try to work it all in. It was, a, you know, it's a tall order to make that happen for someone who is um, such uh, almost amoral at times uh, to have her grow up. But, you know, as a human being, I think I've matured tremendously in the last 10 years of my life. And that's late in life to be to mature. And Amanda, that sort of happened to her, but it's, you know, 1,500 years, and all of a sudden, you know, she matures. It's kind of, it's just odd. It's an odd mix, I agree. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, it definitely had its uh, growing pains, but I think you're right. Had it gone another season, it really hit its groove in the latter latter half of the first season. I think another season Mm -hmm. really could have ironed it out really well and probably could have had at least of you know four or five season run and could have been a really good show unfortunately we'll never know no we'll never know but it's you know everything happens the way it's supposed to happen i believe that um but i you know i loved playing amanda always playing amanda she's so much fun um and i've always told everyone you've probably seen this in many interviews that it you know it was the best job i've ever had in my life not only because of the character and the work itself, but because of the camaraderie of all the actors I got to work with and the production team and the producers and the writers. It was such a gift uh, for an actor. And I mean, except for the theater work I do now with um, a modern dance company in the LA area, you know, just to have have that collaborative dynamic with a group of people is unique. And I mean, I actually consider Adrian and Peter and Jim and of course, um, uh, Stan, when he was alive, you know, they're just, they're pals and I trust them. And I, um, you know, I just value the time I got to spend with them so much. That's a real gift, not as an actor, but just as a person to have those kind of relationships. So I had mentioned (laughs) in, uh, the interview with Adrian that the episodes that you were on in the original series, I think were my personal favorites just because of the dynamic between the two of you. 
and the dynamic between the characters. I mean, here's this brooding Duncan who is this very moral, honor-bound Duncan. And here comes Amanda just looking for fun and is always kind of getting him into trouble and he's got to get her out of trouble. And it was this very like yin and yang kind of dynamic. And it was great because he rode this like roller coaster of depression through pretty much the entire series from the time uh, Tessa died. And then in comes Amanda and you'd get these sparks of happiness out of him. And it was phenomenal. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. We liked doing it. We had so much fun from the first episode. I mean, I was surprised that I, you know, they called me back and the fans wanted to see more Amanda, but uh, especially on the second episode of the return of Amanda, Adrian and I really just had so much fun because we had to work on working a scene with a dance and there's just not enough time while you're shooting to do that uh, in between setups. You know, it just takes a bit of, uh, like when we did the the tango on the Eiffel Tower, I mean, all that took time away. You know, we worked on that on the weekends. So we, we just had the same sort of work ethic and approach to it all plus a great sense of fun. And I mean, we just, it was great. It was just terrific. And um, that, of course, I mean, I, I suppose it still could have not worked out on camera, but it just happened to work out. So um, I don't know. I think that's just what you call chemistry. And yeah, so you guys was, have that very natural chemistry and it played very well on camera because no, thanks, you well. guys were, you guys were actually having fun. So when you're, ha- you know, it, it put it on screen and it ramps that up tenfold which makes the episode that much more entertaining yeah and that's sort of our our uh, relationship i mean we're we're really good friends but um you know we would uh, we had major arguments and differences of opinion on different things but um just always right back in there you know just really adored each other as people so that makes it easy to do one thing I was curious about, do you have a gymnastic background or was that all training on set? Um, I have no gymnastics training, very little sword training. That was one of my, if I could do anything differently, this was in the day before women were really fighting on camera and they, you know, they were spending time. I mean, Adrian was well-trained and already did martial arts, but I had no training and I had a good stunt person on Highlander. And I suppose on Highland of the Raven, I had two great stunt um, gals who worked with me. But no, I'm, I, I wish I had been a better sword fighter and, you know, fighter in general. But no, no gymnastics. Not at all. <laughs> well, see, yeah, that was a, another really cool thing about the Raven. Because at the time, there weren't that many, like, female lead sci-fi shows. I mean, Xena was out. Mm-hmm. Um. But there weren't very many strong female lead shows in that genre. And yeah, it's interesting. You go from what was supposed to be a one-off character to you get your own spinoff show. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of surreal. 
It was because I, I had sort of, I'd left LA. I was like, eh, I've had it with this. I'd had, and I, was, I still knew that I was going to be doing Highlander probably, but then that was sort of coming to an end because I knew Adrian was going to, you know, pull out of the series, and I knew they had been auditioning sort of uh, female characters to step in. So I just thought, oh well, this was a great ride type of thing, and I moved out of LA. I started painting sort of full time. I had an art studio. I was just really reassessing my life. And I think I did the finale <clears throat> in Paris. And so I was I was really surprised when they called me. I was like, oh, OK, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, it was a great. Another great phone call. It was from Islander. But um, yeah, it was very surreal to me. Very surreal. And great and terrific, just terrific. I am really curious how we go, uh, how your life progressed from like running the pageant circuit to actress. Like, you know, you, you, Miss well, America yeah. and all this, and then yeah. actress. Well, before I so before I won Miss America, I was just out of I think of my first year of college and. Um, I had entered a pageant the year before in my hometown area to get scholarship money. I mean, the Miss America system is set up around scholarship money. Yeah. So I saw it as a way. I had an academic scholarship, but that was only going to go so far. And I really wanted out of my environment, I think. Um, I had sort of ambition just to be somewhere else at the time. And I saw that as a way of... of doing that 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 was the vehicle and i saw that i fit that um sort of mold and uh, i thought i was willing to give it a couple of years of my life which i did and if i had not won miss arkansas the year that i won i probably would not have continued but um it just worked out that way that it did and so i was an accounting major with um thought to be to go into law that was my plan but then as Miss America, you're traveling at that time in the 80s, I was tra you know, traveling 200,000 miles in a year. I was on an, I just, my mom keeps sending me all these boxes. She kept everything. <laughs> so she's calling. So I literally, my past has been arriving on my doorstep for the past year, all through the pandemic. I would just get, I just went through 12 more boxes. I mean, oh, I'm Lord. insane trying to, yeah, she kept everything. So, but I could see my itinerary as Miss America. And I mean, literally I was on the plane every other day, just flying somewhere. And for these appearances, a lot of them I had to perform. So I would have a bit of a spiel and then I would sing two or three songs. And I think I just got the performance bug in general um, because I was involved, of course, in the big live productions of the actual pageant, but um, I don't know. I just thought, oh, maybe I like this. And so the year after it was over, I read a lot of books on acting just to see if it was something I'd be interested in. And I thought, all right. So I was able to use my scholarship money to move to New York City. And I studied at HB Studios and I studied photography at the new school. And um, it really just shifted my whole perspective and that accounting and I, although I do all our taxes I mean I don't do the taxes but I organize all of that <laughs> I still have the accounting head uh, but um, thought acting was a perfect um, 
perfect career for me uh, in terms of um, exploring the emotional side of you know human beings and uh, it, it, it was a good decision and I'm very very grateful even though I've been away from pa from pageants for there was like a 30 years where I was not involved at all I'm recently back into it um, now that it's approaching its hundredth year I've met a lot of the formers and my toe, I'm in the shallow end of the pool, but I'm um, more involved because I'm very interested in um, supporting the scholarship arm of the of the organization because those scholarships are really invaluable. And um, I don't know, I, I think it all, to me, it makes sense. But maybe to you on the surface, it's like, how did you do pageants into acting? Oh, no, but after a lot you of, explain it, it makes sense. I mean, it... it I yeah. Explaining it that way, it seems like a very natural progression. But on paper, it's just like, no, that that, that doesn't yeah. make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, a lot. There are a lot of performers who who take that route. I just didn't know that I was going to be a performer when I did it. It just sort of <laughs> was something I knew I could sing and I knew I could do that. But um, it sort of I didn't realize that I was going to be an actor at the end of it all. But um, it's the way it happens. Well, and then you, you strike me as somebody who has to stay busy. Like I, I, I don't think <laughs> I don't think you know the meaning of downtime. <laughs> I do. I do like to stay busy. I'm slightly hyper and um, I'm a creative. So, I mean, I'm always I have to a lot of things I do never see the light of day <clears throat> or they're just very personal in terms of painting and writing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I define myself as as a creative person. So I have to I mean, I approach dinner not every dinner because I get tired of cooking too, especially during the pandemic, but I like my downtime too. I can float in the pool. I can, I can relax. Believe uh, me. <laughs> I say, and the, where I was going with that was you, uh, you wrote a book. Yeah. Which I did. If, if I did my research right, you, you kind of based some of the information from your Wiley grandmother's imagination and her I, I think you said she helped foster your imagination and helped it grow mm -hmm. yeah she my grandmother Grace Murphy was um, quite a character and yeah she used to <laughs> she loved to tell us ghost stories and just scare the hell out of me I grew up a very fearful child with a great imagination too vivid of an imagination but yeah she convinced us that there were fair there was a battle going up in her attic between the, the fairies and the spiders and that all of them could see us from the the um, where the screws were and all the light fixtures in the ceiling that that's how they watched <laughs> us all the time so yeah <laughs> and she read a fake crystal ball and she dressed as a fortune teller during the Christmas, uh, the Halloween carnival. So yeah, I, I had a fantasy and imagination and I, I was spent a lot of time by myself as a young person. My mom was in nursing school. I was the oldest of three kids, but um, I spent a lot of my early years just roaming this small town of Boonville, Arkansas uh, on my bike or by on foot. And I spent a lot of time at my grandma's house and just, you know, creating scenarios in my head. And I mean, I was by myself a lot. So um, I have a lot of stories going on, still do in my head. <laughs> but I, I decided to write the book Shalili 
which is a young adult fantasy. Um, sort of, I started writing it before I got pregnant, but I, through my pregnancy, I wrote it. Um, and then I put it on the shelf for about a year cause I was just tired and didn't have the energy to write. But then I took it back off the shelf after I had a dream one night where, uh, I can't remember the exact dream, but I, when I woke up, I went, Oh, I've got to illustrate that book. I've got to make those characters come to life visually. So I'm going to start there and go back into the book and, that's how it began. And I, I think I finished it within the year. And I sent it out to a couple of publishers and had a couple of bites. But in the end, I didn't really care. I mean, most of these things, anytime I try to pers heavily pursue uh, success in one area of my life, it never really happens that way for me, at least not it hasn't so far. So I just sort of have to trust that the artistic output and the expression of whatever I was trying to say, just, just go with that. And if people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. So, so I, I really love, do you know how the, how's the book been received, you know, or. I mean, if you like that, genre, it's, you know, young adult. So it's, um, if you like that genre, then you like it. I mean, it's, you know, about an Oracle and she travels to a, a alternate dimension called the paradigm. And there's, you know, she turns into a butterfly girl, basically. So it's it's high fantasy. Um, and I'm actually working on another book series for younger children. Um, the first book is called The Great St. Louis Dog Food Feud, about rival Great Dane families. But it's a series of books uh, based on uh, great American cities. And um, it's sort of a way of uh, anthropomorphized animals, obviously, and it's, uh, it's, it's, good. it's interesting, but I, I really like doing it. I really like writing books and I love illustrations. I have this great illustrator I met named Luca DiNapoli and he's just, his mind and his, his mind's eye, his, what he sees is perfect for my sensibility and my imagination. So we're working on it together. Say, I read the overview of Shalili and I don't do a lot of book reading, but I definitely want to pick that one up. Like, it, well, it, it, it sounds interesting to me. <laughs> well, I mean, let's, we'll see. What you, I'm not going to say anything else about it. You just need to read it and see what you think. It's got a lot of ideas in it, but it's it's not a, you know, it's not heavy literature. <laughs> but I'll send you a copy for sure. Cool. I'll say, and yeah, yeah. it... it, it it definitely feels from just the overview that I read that, like you said, it's very based. It's heavily based in fantasy and you know, that, that that's cool. I mean, if you know what you're getting into when you read it, there's, there's a place for every genre. I mean, somebody who's there's like, okay, Tolkien, it's heavy literature, mm -hmm. heavy fantasy. Mm -hmm. I like reading Tolkien. I don't always want to read Tolkien. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, sometimes have, I just I, you, like fantasy. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had to, we, that was from when I was a senior in high school, our teacher, that's what we read. We read the trilogy. We read the Hobbits. We had a middle earth day. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was great fun. I thought it was, it was a great senior English class. My goodness. So much fun. And then now you're also working on, you have your own film production company, Flapper Films. Yeah. I mean, after, 
after I had my daughter, um, I spent a lot of time walking around this beautiful park while she was, this was when she was like four and she was in pre-K and I could drop her off half of the day. And I just walked this park and had to, you know, just contemplated what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And, um, acting was not high on the list. And I had a friend who is a director and she sort of encouraged me to think about filmmaking. And it just coincided that I met this wonderful uh, dancer who owns a modern dance company in Pasadena called the Lineage Dance Company. And we met and I had this idea to do a short film and um, ended up doing it with her and her company. And I just sort of has snowballed from there. I have, I have so much footage of different projects that I've shot in the can. And now I've just learned how to edit, uh, in Adobe premiere. So I have a bit more freedom. I was have you know, after I, I can't afford to pay an editor for all the things that I've shot. So, um, yeah, it's a small company, but I have a lot of projects going all the time with it. Um, it, you know, I, 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 as I mentioned earlier, I'm back in the Miss America world a little bit. And I sort of got volunteered and said, okay, to work on this big fundraising project. Uh, I'm just finishing it. It's a two and a half hour film. Well, that's one version. And then there's a three hour version. That's an archival version. But it's uh, all these former Miss Americas have, ha have submitted like five minute videos on what the system has meant for them and how it's changed their lives. And I thought, oh yeah, I can just assemble all that. That's no big deal. <laughs> of course, a year later, I'm still working on it because 30 people have turned, you know, submitted these videos during the pandemic, varying qualities of, you know, production value and trying to make this cohesive, entertaining uh, film. It's called the Forever Miss America Story. And, uh, it's been quite an undertaking. It was like, whoa, okay, because I lost my editor sort of midway through it, and now I, I took over. I've learned a lot in the process, but um, I will be glad to get that project off my plate because I have others just, you know, within reach, and I'm eager. I've been working on this uh, documentary for a couple of years on Lee Merriweather. See, that's was, the one um, I'm waiting on. Yeah, yeah. She, I met her when I... I got this random email, uh, gosh, it's been about four or five years ago now, from a former Miss America from the late 60s, who said, we're having a rendezvous of all these former Miss Americas, and I know you don't go to the pageant anymore, but we would love to see you. You're invited up to the wine country. And I said, oh, maybe I am interested in that. I don't really care to go to Atlantic City, but I would be curious, if nothing else. Of course, I brought my camera ready to you know, document it all. And... Uh, at this rendezvous, there were about 25 of us, and it was a fantastic weekend, and um, I met Lee Merriweather, and we would go on these long walks, all of us, and I just, Lee would, had been talking about how she had recorded former Miss Americas during her time, uh, did all these audio recordings, and how she'd lost all the tapes, and I just, I don't know, I just got the idea going in my head, and um I, by the end of that summer, I had done this, I'd spent the day with her, you know, this beautiful setup in a former Miss America's house. 
And I just did these interviews with Lee thinking, oh, well, this would be a nice short film. But then as I started getting more interviews and more information and all of this, you know, the history of her career as, you know, Miss America, as an actress and, uh, you know, first Catwoman, first, you know, she did such an amazing career in the 70s on television. She was such an icon for me as a, as a young person. I remember her vividly. So, um, yeah, so now it's like an hour film. Uh, and I walked away from that for about a year, but I'm coming back to that as soon as this one's finished because I did a whole other set of interviews with, I went to Atlantic City, interviewed former Miss Americas about her, um, interviewed a lot of her friends throughout her career. So I have all this new footage that I have to insert into the film, but um, hopefully that'll be done by the end of the year. Hopefully, fingers crossed. See, and this this is, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it because like when we started talking about setting up this interview, I saw that that project was on your plate. I was like, Oh my God, huge Lee Merriweather fan. Um, oh, she's fantastic. And <laughs> I, I, I got to thinking as I was digging into, you know, your career and stuff like that. If you get a chance, I don't know how much you self-reflect, you know, do self-reflection on your past and your past roles and things like that. It, it's, a little ironic that you're doing this uh, production on uh, Miss Merriweather. Because if you look at where she was in the 70s, you two have almost parallel career paths in acting. Hmm. Similar, hmm. you know, similar role styles of that, just like free spirit roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, both started in pageants, went on to prominent tv roles and it's it's very interesting to see now that you're doing this <clears throat> essentially a retrospective on her and mm-hmm. like i said you have ver- these very similar career paths and it's mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see this documentary because like the more i dug into your career and you know like like i told you earlier you know you know, watched you in Highlander and everything else. I got to thinking, you know, if you were to do, you know, if you were to get back into acting and, you know, like heavy into acting and uh, Mm -hmm. do something else in like the comic universe, honestly, I could see you as like a Catwoman or like Harley Quinn or even Poison Ivy. One of those, like one of those three, you know, you have that personality. To really bring those well, characters to life. Well, I don't have the youth, though, darling. <laughs> I'm not young anymore. That's one thing you have to be for all those characters. Unless I can be the it's aging animated. Catwoman. Yeah. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, Margot Kidder killed it in uh, Batman the Animated Series. Oh. You know, I mean, hmm. it's you, you have that personality to really bring those characters to life. And it, it, it's, I don't know, if an opportunity <laughs> presented itself, it might be worth looking into. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, I'm kind of that way with, uh, like, I did the, this sci-fi film, I don't know if you've seen it, called Coherence. Have yeah. you seen that? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, Jim Burkett, the director, writer, he's a friend of mine. So, I mean... Projects that I I don't have to fight for. I'm definitely <laughs> game for. If someone calls me, I'm there. It's just the whole 
shenanigans of getting a job I'm not interested in. That takes a great deal of energy and a certain combination of not caring and caring at the same time. And I just, I don't have time for all of that at the moment, but no, uh, like the, um, the horror series, the audio suspense, I don't know if you've heard any of those, but my friend John Alsadek writes and produces those, but he, it's the same way. I mean, we just all go in, none of us get paid. We just go in and do the parts because we love to do it. And it's so much fun to do uh, voice work and not have to worry about, you know, what you look like and, I can play all sorts of characters with, you know, with just the voice. So, um, no, it's great fun. No, if someone called me and said, we want you to do, you know, the aging poison Ivy (laughs) (laughs) as an animated, I'd say, sure, sure, darling. I'm right there. I'm right there. Don't ask twice. (laughs) So I'll come running. But before we get to wrapping this up, do you have, like, is there a dream role that you you know, that would just absolutely pull you back into acting that, you know, it, it's just that one role that you see yourself that you absolutely would just kill to play. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm more interested in the classics, like uh, Night of the Iguana is one of my favorite films to watch. And, um, I mean, one of those characters would be fabulous to play. I think Yeah. I actually, ha- I actually had a film idea of doing the, um, uh, the Hannah, the, the poet, the, the granddaughter of the poet in the film, can't remember her name, Hannah Wilkes, I think, or something like that, but her of using Lee as the older man in the wheelchair, but having her be the poet, I had this whole idea in my head at one point, but. Something like that, maybe. I'd like to do Shakespeare, but I it's mainly I, I didn't do a lot of theater when I was training as an actor. And through lineage I get to do quite a bit. We like we did Pippin and I got to play Fastrada and which was fantastic because I'd never done anything like that before. And it was such a great experience. It's such a different that live theater, I, I really, really love that. And um, I hope I get to keep doing that as time goes on because I find that really rewarding and challenging and so different than everything else I've done in, te- you know, film and television. So yeah. Well, Anything in that. I say in live theater is such a different beast because you get that like immediate reaction from the fans. It's, you don't have to wait to see what the fans thought of it a day or so later. Like if you bomb, you know, you bomb. If you nail it, yeah. you know, you nailed it. You know, oh yeah, you, you get that it's, instant it's a very gratification. Thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's also just so enormously challenging to your brain and to your, you know, the ham bone side of you. Of you know how much you're going to, you know, uh, open up and do it. Uh, playing Fastrada was just such a hoot for me because I I've never really done anything like that before, and she was such an over the top. It was like Amanda on steroids, you know, and just really <laughs> wicked, like the dark side, the dark side of Amanda. Um, and singing and dancing. And I mean, you know, by the end of my number, the guys had lifted me over their head and it was just so much fun. And I was like, wow, I could do that again. That was a lot of fun, but very challenging and exhausting. Oh, musical theater is a trip. I don't even like it that much, but um, I I enjoyed it. So I don't know. So something, if someone offered me a role on on stage, I'd probably do it. Probably do it. So where can... uh... My listeners keep up to date with stuff coming from Flapper and 
anything else that you have coming out? Well, Flapper Press, I started FlapperPress.com. It's an online magazine. I started it as my author's website when I did Shalili, and it sort of morphed over the years as being this online magazine. We have writers from all over the world who write for it, and we cover a lot of different subjects. But um, I try to work in, you know, what if I have a project coming to the surface and it's, you know, coming to fruition, then uh, the information is there. Uh, they can check out flapperfilms.com as well, and you can sort of see a lot of my short films, and you can see uh, what I'm doing. Um, and I'm also working on a project called the Gen Z Collective, which I've been working on since the first Women's March in 2016. I've been interviewing young people, uh, Gen Z, obviously, about um, what they think about the world, what their fears are, their hopes are, and it's sort of a, an ongoing time capsule project that I'm hoping could be something relevant enough to say, be part of, you know, like the Smithsonian archives. It just basically shows you in their own words, um, what Gen Z represents, what they think about, what they care about, what they hope for the future and the ideas to follow them into adulthood and see, you know, what happens sort of in the vein of the Michael Eptet up films. But um, yeah, so I'm working on that too. So you can go to thegenzcollective.com as well and see what we're doing there. That's awesome. Listeners, I'll put those links yeah. in the uh, episode description. You can find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com or on Twitter at Moose Media Inc. Elizabeth, I'm glad you uh, mm -hmm. were able to stop in and nope, not going to, no puns. I'm glad you were able to stop in and. <laughs> uh, bullspit with us today uh and hope to get you on again sometime and talk some more about your other projects as they uh come out is this is really fun i mean thank you i really appreciate it i've enjoyed talking to you getting to know you thanks a lot and you know listeners there's a lot of good podcasts out there unless you heard it here it's probably just a load of bullspit. So, until next time, take it easy. Ooh-wee, that sure was some bullspit, but I sure had fun. Junior, you need some help. Be sure to tune in next time.